Right, good morning. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses uh, 5 through 18. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants. On account of Jesus, for God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness. This is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen containers, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body of the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to the, what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who was raised, the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you for all things for your sakes, so that grace having spread to more and more people will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer person is decaying, yet your inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we are a church that is a gathered group of people that centers itself on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've put it this way before in the past that in our, in our solar system, uh, the sun is the only thing large enough to hold every other thing in place. Everything revolves around it. In this church, Jesus is the only thing large enough, majestic enough, glorious enough to hold a varying group of people like us together. We have differences. We're different. We have differences in our background. We have differences in our experiences that we've experienced in life. We have different genders. There's, there's some differences in ethnicity. Uh, there's differences of opinion on all sorts of different issues, ranging from politics to the kind of food you like. All over the place, we're different, but the difference, they're there, yes, but we have the same Savior. We have the same gospel. Uh, for a great summation of that gospel, I would encourage you to go back a few weeks, uh, listen to Dustin's sermon if you weren't here for that, where he clearly, simply walked us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but the message of Jesus is really this. It's about his life, his death, his resurrection, and we could even tack in there his ascension and ultimately uh, his glorification in the sense of his eventual return. And that pattern of Jesus' life is what we've been talking about. The pattern of his life is what? It's death and it's suffering and it's resurrection. I'll put those in a better order. It's suffering, death, and resurrection. And, and we're here, and, and I believe you're here today because you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We say we're his disciples. What does it mean? It means we choose to pattern our lives after Jesus' life. What did his life involve again? Suffering, death, resurrection. 
We talked about this last week from Luke chapter 9, 23, when Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross every day, and follow me. He says, you want to follow me, you have to be ready to suffer. You have to be ready to die. And we looked at those, those three paradoxes from last week that, that we hold this beautiful treasure, this knowledge of Jesus in these fragile jars of clay. They're not much. Also, we talked about those, those statements that Paul makes in relation to our suffering. Amos, if you want to throw that, that uh, screen up there with these words, uh, this was the summation Merrill Tenney had. Uh, we're squeezed, but we're not squashed. We're bewildered, but we're not befuddled. We're pursued, but we're not abandoned. We're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. That's the idea of who we are. And then, then finally, that last paradox we looked at is that we're, we're dying, but death gives way to resurrection. It's through death, life comes. That's the idea where it says we bear in this body. And a helpful tool for that is the J-curve, right? So we introduced this last week. I wanted to, to introduce to you again. Uh, this is not original with me. This is Paul Miller. He has a book called The J-Curve. And uh, notice the pattern of the J-curve. Uh, Jesus' life, Jesus suffered, he died, and he rose again. It's the pattern of his life. It's a J. It goes low, but then it gets high. We're going to follow Jesus in the same pattern. We're going to have deaths that we're going to die that lead, way, lead to resurrection. There's going to be suffering in our lives if we're going to pattern after Jesus that will lead to a death that will lead ultimately to a resurrection. Last week we talked about this idea of dying to yourself so that Jesus might live in you. We die so Jesus can rise in us, in our hearts. I have to die to my bitterness. I have to die to the pain that other people cause me so that patience and forgiveness, the patience and forgiveness of Jesus might manifest and rise up in me. A person may hurt you and, and they've caused you pain and they cause you suffering because of something they did, because of something they said, but what are we called to do? Hold on to the bitterness, hold on to the grudge? No, scripture calls us to die to that so that the fruit of the spirit may live in us. And if we don't die to that, then there is no resurrection. When that patience and forgiveness manifests itself in my life, it is a resurrection, isn't it? But that resurrection only comes when I'm willing to die to the pain and the bitterness and to forgive in that moment. When I die to self and I give up a relaxing evening at home to meet with a friend who's struggling through some things that are going on in their life, when I do that, I manifest the ministry of Jesus by taking time to listen to them, by taking time to, to pray with them, by taking time to open up God's word and share truth with them. My death in that moment gives way to a new life in me. I died to my relaxing evening so that I could experience the life of Jesus' ministry through me. But it also gives life to them too. Those are the points that Paul made last week. It was a great text that we walked through last week. I encourage you, we didn't get it recorded fully, but we tried to make a little summation. If you missed it, go back and listen to those things because our death is required. Hopefully this week, some of you have, have found yourself on the pattern of that J-curve and you can identify because I guarantee you, each of us, at least at some point this week, we entered into some suffering and we maybe even had to make a choice to die to ourself during that position, but what I hope you experienced or I hope you trust will happen in your experience is a resurrection will come. 
A resurrection will happen in your life. It is the pattern of Jesus' life. And so with Paul, his embracing of death in mind, we would be tempted, along with others, to say, what's wrong with you, Paul? I mean, he, he seemed to, to like this stuff. He seemed to enjoy the deadly life, this, this death-filled experience. And we may think, Paul, did, did one of those rocks knock your brain loose a little bit because you seem to really enjoy like some sort of a, a extreme sports guy or some masochist being put in these situations where you're suffering. Well, those are the questions that Paul actually addresses in today's section. I appreciate Brian reading for us, uh, kind of catching us up in our context, but today we're going to look particularly at 13 through 18, focusing most of our attention on the first three there. But before we pray and really dive into these particular verses, I want you to think about, just for a moment, suffering. And maybe it's your own suffering that you're experiencing in this moment. Maybe you're in a season of it. Or maybe you're coming out of a season of suffering. Really, that's the old adage that we often say. If you're not in a season of suffering, get ready because you're probably about to enter into a season of suffering. It is the nature of our life. Either way, I want you to think about these things. How can we, as followers of Jesus, individuals who wish to pattern their life after Jesus, how can we endure suffering? What do we need to remember? What do we need to remind ourselves of as we enter into seasons of suffering? And as we walk with others through their suffering, what are the things we need to share with them? How can we be an encouragement to others who are trying to disciple through the suffering that they're going through as people zealous to help others find and follow Jesus? What should our perspective be when it comes to suffering? Let's pray. Father, we ask now for your grace as we look at these incredible truths. May they challenge us. May they move us to to see things from a a biblical, from a godly perspective as we encounter them in our lives. Help us now, we pray, Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this opening statement that Paul makes in verse 13, he he speaks of sharing a kindred spirit of faith with someone, with a man who's been dead now in Paul's time for a thousand years. The man that he has a kindred spirit with is David. He has a kindred spirit with David. It, It would seem that Paul has been meditating on Psalm 116, which we read earlier in the service, written by David, following a particular situation where David almost died, but God delivered him from death. And you could say, well, that's, that's about half of David's psalms, and that's probably true. If there's another person who suffered significantly in the early part of their life, it would be David, and even in the latter part of his life, as his family would come unraveled. But in the psalm, David speaks of this. He speaks of believing, that is, trusting in God, and therefore he speaks of that. He says, I I believe in you, God. I put my trust in you, Yahweh. Therefore, I will proclaim that my trust is in you. And that is the quote that we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul says, I believed and so I spoke. Paul is saying that his trust in God is what drives him to continue to speak 
His trust in God is what drives him to continue to share the gospel of Jesus with others. Yes, it seems that every time Paul opens his mouth, trouble happens. There's something that goes on. People don't like what he has to say, but his faith in God drives him to continue to speak of Jesus despite those things. I think of a couple of instances. There's the, there's the riot in Ephesus, uh, and particularly the riot that goes on in Jerusalem, and they're, they're, they're chanting, the crowds have come together, kill Paul, kill Paul, they want him dead, and Paul's like, hey, Roman guard, do, do you think I could go out there and talk to them one more time? He, he wants to put himself in those situations. He wants to speak, and we think, Paul, you're crazy, but we need that kind of faith. We need greater faith like Paul has here to truly believe, therefore we'll speak. Do we believe that God will actually save other people? Do we believe that God can rescue them? That God can restore them? Do we believe that he is still in the business of making new creations? Do we believe, as Paul believed, that his word does not return void? It accomplishes what it's sent forth to accomplish. Well, moving into verse 14, Paul actually shares some of the details regarding his beliefs, his faith. What is his faith in? He says this, I know, I know, I have a certainty, I have a knowledge that resurrection is coming. He firmly believes that the Father who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise him and the Corinthians from the dead to be in the presence of God. After death, comes life. That's what Paul firmly believes. This perishable body shall put on imperishable. This mortal body will put on immortality, he wrote to the Corinthians in his previous letter. This is our hope. This is our expectation that death is a doorway that leads to true life, that death is a a comma that leads to the rest of eternity. But the real joy here isn't just eternal life. It's not just mansions. What is it? It's the presence of God. I think we often think even in Jesus' statements there in the upper room that night where he talks about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's going to be a mansion. We're like, yeah, give me the mansion. But what does Jesus actually say? I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. To live in the presence of God. That is the full restoration of what sin has completely stripped away. Beginning in the garden. What did they know and experience in the garden? The presence of God. They walked with him. Jesus came so that there might be a reversal. So that we might get back to being and living in the presence of God. This got me thinking about how we talk about death. As believers even, when a, when a believer dies, precious, we, we read that from Psalm 116, uh, precious is the death of a saint in the sight of the Lord. Oftentimes we use words like, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. What, what loss? I'm not... I'm not questioning the grief that goes along with losing someone, but there is no loss for a believer. There's only gain. Death gives way to true life. Just a couple days ago, and the timing of this was great, Dr. Uh, Kevin Carson, a local pastor friend, he, he wrote a quick blog about having a conversation with a young couple whose baby is, I believe, about to pass away. 
And he said while he was having this conversation with him over the phone, he was just jotting some notes down. And one of the points that he made was really along the lines of what we're talking about here. And, and he talked about how we'll send our, our kiddos, we'll send our babies off to spend a week at camp. We send them off to spend some time with grandparents or other family. We don't really fret or worry. We know where they're at. We know they're safe. We know they're secure. We know they're having a good time. How much more is heaven then? We've just sent them off. They're more alive than they have ever been. That's what we're dealing with here. That's what Paul says. This is where my hope is. This is where my focus is. I believe in the resurrection. And, and so we would go back to the, the J curve. Here, here in the J curve and right here, Paul is most certainly speaking of physical death. That's what he's talking about in this context. And that would be the most monumental expression that we could look at in the J curve. The actual physical death that we will experience. But we face it with the full expectation that after death comes life. Resurrection. It's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in chapter 4. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. They're, they're asleep, but there's coming a resurrection. This is what we believe. This is what we all would proclaim to say we believe in the resurrection. Therefore, we should behave as if we believe in the resurrection. And let me tell you, believing in the resurrection is pretty radical. That's a pretty radical belief. Therefore, it should lead to pretty radical behavior for us. It certainly does for Paul. He's not afraid to put himself in dangerous situations or situations where he'll suffer. He's not afraid to speak because of the resurrection. And so Paul keeps discipling others because of his faith in God's promises, particularly the resurrection. But verse 15 provides another aspect of what God's doing. Paul is able at this point to look back. Notice, notice chapter 4. Let's read this again, verse 15. For it is all for your sake, he writes to the Corinthians, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul looks back over his history with the Corinthians and other churches. And, and what does he see? He sees the fruitful results of the ministry. He sees what God has accomplished, what started in Corinth with just a, a handful of people, a handful of thankful people who are gathering together to give glory to God has grown. And he hears his words, grace has extended now to more and more people. Paul understands uh, that there is no stopping this train now. It's been unleashed and it is moving. The word he spoke and he continues to speak will not return void. And it will continue to graciously spread until thanksgiving to God increases more and more with the end result being more and more people giving glory to God. Recognizing our God for who he truly is. That is expressing his greatness and his majesty. That's what's happening. Now the pessimist in me struggles a little bit with this as I look at our own present circumstances. Because statistics show that, that more people are walking away from the church than joining the church. And I say, well, it, it doesn't seem as if this is the case. But understand, it's no different in Paul's day. The culture was no different in Paul's day. It was just as pagan as our culture is. 
We have to have the faith that Paul has and the recognition, not be tempted to despair. You ever heard someone talk about the power of compounding interest? It goes something like this. You know, the sales pitch to an 18-year-old kid is, hey, if you can, you can set aside $300 a month and, and invest that for the next 20, 30 years of your life, you'll be a millionaire. And, and, and you look at that figure, well, $300 doesn't equate to a million dollars if you just put that in savings, but because of compounding interest, the way in which it grows, it multiplies. And the point is, what, what seems insignificant can grow over time. And that's the math equation that Paul is banking on. That's the philosophy that's driving him when it comes to discipleship. He believes that his continued efforts in sharing Jesus with others will grow, better stated, will multiply. And grow it did. Here we sit today. Why? Because of Paul's ministry. Because Paul kept talking about Jesus despite the persecution and the suffering that he faced. We sit here today. And it wasn't just Paul. It was others that came after Paul. Countless others who have faithfully spoken the message of Jesus discipled others. Even in the face of adversity. It has led to us sitting in the room today. Worshiping. I think of my own experiences, just my, my great-grandparents, the Howards. I remember as a kid, great-grandpa Howard, sitting in his recliner, would have his Bible open, doing some reading. What did he, he was a dairy farmer. By the time I came along in life, he pretty much just reverted to just having cattle, raising cattle. That was what he was doing in his retirement. But what did he do with his life? He passed this faith that he had received on to his children, to my, my grandma. My grandma and grandpa faithfully served and passed it on to my parents. And my parents, along with pastors, along with Sunday school teachers and vacation Bible school workers, Awana listeners and leaders, and countless other people, did not hesitate to speak the truth of Christ into my life. Think of your own story. And think about it this way, and others will gather in churches 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now because we believed in God and we spoke about Him. We shared the truth of Jesus with others. All of it culminates in Revelation 7. All of it comes together in this event that John is invited to see where he says, after this I, I looked and behold there was a great multitude that no one could number. Think about that. There's no numeric value that you can put on the amount of people that are gathered here. They're from every nation. They're from all the tribes, every language and they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Sometimes it's good for us to get a better perspective of what we're a part of, isn't it? 
We get lost in the day-to-day and the minutia of having a meeting here, praying with this person. It's good for us to step back and see this bigger picture. You see Paul's perspective here. What a privilege for us to be invited to be a part of what's happening here. Paul didn't view it as a burden. He viewed it as an honor to be one who could speak, to be one who could disciple So who are you speaking Jesus to? Who are you zealously pursuing with this good news of Jesus? Who are those people that God has just sovereignly brought into your life, mercifully brought into your life so that you could share hope with them? Well, for these reasons, Paul comes back to his earlier point Verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart. He's already mentioned that before. He says, because of our our faith in God, our hope in the resurrection, because of the effectiveness of the gospel, we do not lose heart, but we keep on zealously sharing Jesus with others. We don't stop. We don't quit. But even in saying that, Paul walks us into another set of truths that keep us Keep him and us focused. Keep him and us moving forward. Verses 16 through 18. Here in these verses, he he talks about how the focus is on the inner man, not the outer man. The, The focus is on the eternal glory that we will experience rather than this light momentary affliction that we're experiencing now. Our focus should be on the unseen eternal things rather than the seen temporary things. We're not going to dive into all of those this week. We're going to slow down a little bit and marinate in some of this stuff for the next couple weeks. So we're going to come back next week and look at 16, 17, and 18 and think through these particular principles and perspectives we should have. So for this week, I just want you to think about these beautiful truths that we've talked about today. Why do we speak? Why are we called to speak about Jesus? Because we we talk about what we love. We share what we desire. We, we, We share with others what we're passionate about. We should be passionate about our God. We should speak about that which we believe. We should find our hope in the resurrection as Paul finds it in the resurrection. And we should share that with other people. We should be about the business of zealously pursuing others because his word, and it does not return void. And who knows what impact it'll have on those people that you have opportunity to share it with. I don't know if Paul envisioned this happening in Republic, Missouri. He didn't even know it existed. He didn't. We pass on this faith to the next generation. Because in 50 years from now, I'm not going to be here. I hope I'm not here. But what about my kids and your kids? What about their kids? We believe and we speak. Let's do it zealously, many of you. I'm going to ask you to bow with me for just a moment. We're going to have a quick time here. 
maybe, maybe this time is for you just an opportunity to pray and say, thank you, God, for those people in my life who spoke. They shared Jesus. They didn't hesitate. Even in their suffering, even when it was difficult, they talked about him. But maybe now's a commitment because you know God has sovereignly and mercifully brought some people into your life and you know it is your responsibility to speak to them about the hope of Jesus. And maybe for another group, you're here today and you're just suffering. Gain perspective as Paul has perspective here. Suffering is a part of following Jesus. It's not abnormal. It's not foreign. It's what we signed up for when we said, we'll follow. Get comfortable with it. Find your hope in the fact that suffering leads to death that leads to resurrection. Suffering is not the end of your story. We'll be quiet so we can pray. Father, we, we rejoice in Jesus and we rejoice in the pattern of his life. That, that God would come and put on flesh and suffer, experience death, and resurrection. It's incredible. But I also rejoice that there are, there are men like Paul and women that we look at in history who have followed that same pattern they leave these examples for us of what it is to suffer well and to die a death so that resurrection might happen. We are here today because of Paul's willingness to die. Because of the willingness of others to die to self so that the gospel of Jesus might continue to move forward. Help us to be willing to die. God, help me to be willing to die to my own Stupid, stupid passions that never satisfy so that I might experience the fullness of life, the life that you promised, the abundance. Help me to die to my own selfish patterns so that I might be equipped and ready to minister to others so that they might know the life of Jesus. So that resurrection can happen in them. And so help me to be on the lookout. Help us to be on the lookout this week for both of those. Where we need to die to self so that life can manifest in us and so that life can manifest in others. God, thank you for these truths. Help us to not soon forget them, but help us to be doers of the word as we leave today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, specifically just challenge you this week. Um, spend some time meditating on verses 16, 17, and 18. You know that's where we're going to be next week. You've, you've got the context that leads into it. So spend time individually as a family just thinking through those things. Uh, come ready and equipped next week as we walk through those verses together. I'm excited about these, uh, where we're at in Corinthians now, and uh, some of these upcoming texts that we're going to get to look at throughout the month of August and September.